Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With yet another unwanted comeback of the Super League, much like the jaw rule return no one ever wanted or asked for, we have a feeling that this could all end up to be like football's fire festival. Welcome to the Anglo-Italian pod. As always, my name is Rory and I'm joined by my very good friend. Adam, hey Rory, how has the last few days been for you? Um, Yeah, not bad. Not a lot of football to talk about, but plenty of goals to talk about, I think. Uh, Manchester United and Leeds United bring in the heat. That was a really Mm. fascinating game. We're going to get on to that one. And there was a bit of action in the FA Cup. There was Juventus, Salernitana. So it's enough to keep us going. And of course, the return of the Super League, but now new and improved. Um, we will be talking about that as well. But my days haven't yeah. been too bad. It's been an all right week, nearly the weekend. What about yourself? Yeah, pretty much looking forward to the weekend, it has to be said. Um, busy first few days at the beginning of the week. Uh, today's been a little bit more relaxed, it has to be said, but still quite full on with calls back to back. So uh, same old service resumed there and yeah. it's not looking pretty for tomorrow. So I'm waiting forward till 5 p.m. tomorrow where I can clock off and enjoy or try and start the weekend. Right, Rory? Yeah, it should be, good it's games. a good weekend. It's a good weekend lined up. But something that Definitely. did kind of brighten up my day today as I was oh, yeah. kind of trying to avoid doing a little bit of work. Um, Captain... Legend himself, Martin Erdegaard, has written a really beautiful piece uh, for the Players' Tribune, which is such a great website. Um, there's, I, If you've not been on there before, definitely check out the Adriano one. It's like heartbreaking okay. um, and inspiring. But they have lots of players that kind of, they can write their story or write what they want to write, really, right. whatever they've got on their chest. And Martin Erdegaard wrote, North London forever, um, after the song that has now become an anthem, of course, uh, down at the Emirates. And it's about his kind of career path and how Arsenal always meant something to him and how Mm. even when he was a kid, he would play on FIFA as Arsenal and he always had this idea that he (laughs) would play for Arsenal. And when everyone was hunting him as a teenager, it was Real Madrid or Arsenal. Um, Mm. He chose Real Madrid. I get it. He kind of justifies it very well. He's like, they just won the Champions League. I was going to be coached by Zidane. And like I'd get to play in a division with their B team. So I'd be playing competitive football against adults. Exactly. It just seemed like a more sensible decision. I was like, yeah, it massively did. And then it takes us through his journey through Holland and then back to Spain mm-hmm. and then how the, how the Arsenal move came around. And it just seems like the club means so much to him. And it's like such an honor for him to, um, mm. to wear the captain's armband 
to take the the team out on the pitch. He talks about the anthem now. He says he can't listen to it without getting goosebumps. And the way he describes Arteta as well, he says like the, the way he met Arteta, he said they had a meeting, Arsenal were 15th in the table. It wasn't looking good for anybody. Um, <laughs> and, but he said, talking to Arteta, he said, I, I challenge anyone to sit in a conversation with him and not believe that whatever he says will happen. Um, mm. Now, there's a, he has, a, like, Erdogan has a bit of a reputation in the Arsenal squad as a bit of a teacher's pet. Like, they all call him, like, El Parquio right. or something, which is, like, <laughs> slang for a teacher's pet. So I think he's definitely, like, a little bit obsessed with Arteta. But it's a really beautiful article. And even if you're not an Arsenal nice. fan, I think it's a really interesting story on how a teenage prodigy... Um, handles it and the story mm. like i'm not going to read it but the story about his press conference when he was when he was revealed to real madrid is like hilarious um so it's a really interesting article if you've not read it i definitely recommend it and i'm just it's just another moment where i sat back and thought but yeah we've got martin erdegaard like that guy's he's really bloody good <laughs> like he's been outstanding this season and it was really nice to read that article so yeah if you haven't checked out the players tribune make sure you do you don't have to read the arsenal one you can go for the other ones as well i think Mm, cool that sounds really fascinating well i'm going to bring up my story of the week so far which is the viral that's going out there right now so i don't know if you've seen escape to victory because that's what i thought i was watching when this right. clip came up <laughs> but it is a 59 year old goalkeeper like doing spectacular in Serie D, i think it is or Serie chi and uh, yeah, it just gave me vibes, Rory, of Sylvester Stallone playing in goal in Escape to the Victory, basically, uh, while your video is playing oh, up. I'll Jesus. carry on talking. But he pulled off some amazing saves and incredibly a penalty stop against what look, I can only assume is like a 20, 30 year old player against him. Like, he just looks like a cat in goal. I don't know what it what was. Amazing, right? The was the, the save he makes where he kind of makes it with his opposite arm. He makes it with like his <laughs> other arm as it goes across the far post. Really incredible save. Um, and I think just a competitor for King Kazu, who has got another move. Yes. He made his he made his debut in the second division of Portugal <laughs> at fifty seven. Yeah. We are still keeping an eye on him, but King Kazu, you got competition. Um, yeah, yeah fifty nine years old in the Sicilian first division. I want to say, yeah, or yes, yeah, so the like D. That. It's down there. We honestly, I was trying to find more information. I was like, right, what team is it? Mm. Looking in the Twitter comments. Whoever you are, congratulations. How good it's an incredible save. A, a it's probably like a mafia league, save. Rory. That's why we can't find any more information. <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's all lockdown down there at the minute, <laughs> yeah. I'll be honest. Um, but that is yeah, those are our stories. And we're going to talk about what are we coming, what are we going to be talking about in the show this week? We're going to be talking about Manchester United Leeds. We're going to be talking about the Super League. We're going to be talking FA Cup. We're going to be talking Zaniolo. We're going to be talking a bit of Serie A. And of course, we'll be previewing this weekend's football, getting excited for some intriguing and exciting games coming up this weekend. We're yeah. looking at you, Torino Milan. That one is going to be exciting. Ooh. But guys, we will see you on the other side of this quick break to talk all the football this week. And we are back, and it is time to review all of the football this week. There was about three matches, so we I think we can do all of it. Maybe we can squeeze it in with a few mm. little extras thrown in there. But we are going to start at 
Old Trafford. Um, now, these teams in this weird, mad season mm. and the way the fixes have been thrown up, they're going to play each other twice in a week. Exactly. Uh, so, in the first leg, it ended 2 all <laughs> as Leeds United went 2 0 ahead. It started to look like the bad old days again for United. But mm. honestly, watching the game, you could just tell that United were going to get one. And then once they got one, you knew That's they were going to get another. But we can't talk about the game, or we can't start talking about this game without talking about Nyonto. This guy is unbelievable. In the first minute of the game, cuts inside, sticks it right in the near post, bottom corner past De Gea. You could argue that De Gea might have, should have had it covered. I think the United players were all a little bit asleep. The markers just yeah. let him go completely. He waltz through, 1-0 to Leeds in the first minute. And Nyonto, now... Leeds signed him for, I think it was five million. If that, they got I him think, for yeah. absolutely nothing, the sell on for that guy is going to be incredible. But what mm. really struck me, and I saw a few people kind of talking about it on Twitter as well, if this guy was still in Italy, he'd be playing Primavera and he'd be playing in the reserves mm. for India because he's too yeah. young. And Italy and Serie A has a massive issue with playing young players or not playing young players. Um, and I'm just so glad that he moved away. He's playing in the Premier League and he's absolutely dominating against any opponent. Like towards yeah. the game, he definitely faded because he's a player who re- like doesn't rely on pace, but pace is a big part of his game. Yeah, the energy, like, and you could see as the game went on and Leeds started to shrink a bit, he kind of lost his effect a bit. But on his day, he can cause problems against any defense in that league. Mm. And I think the, <clears throat> there's not a manager in the Premier League that's not looking at him now and going, uh, maybe in the summer, if Leeds go down, like a lot mm. of clubs are going to be looking at him. I think he's been unbelievable. It's great to see him get his goal. <laughs> and then United had a bit of a problem, really. The first half, they were absolutely terrible. Leeds yeah. should have had a few more goals. Um, I think they arguably could have been two, three up in right. the first half. And this is kind of, yeah, this is why it didn't end up being a comfortable win. You mm. can see like Leeds, you need to kill them off. You need to kill them off. And then, second half comes around and you think, okay, Ten Hogs got to have given him a bit of a bollocking and, you know, get your heads in here. Yeah, of course. This isn't good enough. Um, and within the first minute, again, Leeds go up. And I mean, literally from kickoff, Leeds just pushed right up. They had, I think they had like three corners in a row. United couldn't get out of their half. And then um, Crescencio Somerville puts the ball across for Varane to knock into mm. his own net. Really unlucky, but just the pressure and the sheer will from yeah. the uh, Leeds United players there. Really got the um got the second goal and United couldn't get out of their half. Then I think Leeds were kind of caught between two stools, didn't know what really to do. United made a few <laughs> never been used to be that position, no, right? Yeah, like, <laughs> fuck, right. Um, yeah, what do we do now? Um, they took off Garnacho, who had not the mode right, the greatest yeah. game. Um, took off Veghorst and brought on Sancho and Pelestri. Now, what I found really mm. fascinating was the second Veghorst went off, they started crossing balls into the box. And I was like, <laughs> oh, no, you ha- no, that guy was, he was there before. He was just there, but he's gone. Yeah, he, he's just sat over there now. Um, but United did start to get a bit more of a threat. Um, and Pelestri was key in the first goal. Um, I think he laid off the pass for the cross that came in. Rashford, just unbelievable, unbelievable form at the mm. minute. He can just cannot stop scoring. And then once United got that first goal, I was like, okay, Leeds, now just don't let it be 3-2. <laughs> like, don't throw <laughs> it away. You knew that United were going to get an equaliser. Um, and they did through Jadon Sancho. Um, great, even though it's United, and I was willing with every 
sinew of my body that they would lose. It was great to see Sancho come on, get a goal. And I think the reception he got at Old Trafford was really nice. People know that he's been through whatever he's been through. Mm. It's been a difficult time for him. Good to see him back on the pitch. Gets that goal. It could be a real kickstart for him. I think we all agree that when he was at Dortmund, I was so excited about him. I was like, this guy's going to be like one of the futures of English football. He's going to be dominating the league and it's just not quite gone for him. Maybe bad timing of the move at United with all the upheaval, personal issues. It would be great to see him like hit form and become the player that you know he can be. So I hope this is the start of that. Um, yeah. He got the goal, equalised, and then Leeds did manage... I'm not even going to say hold on. Towards the end of the game, both teams were attacking like mad. Mm. Um, there was no team that was like just trying to hold on for a result. It was all about getting the three points. But I think for Leeds, it's massive psychologically mm. that they didn't lose it. The fact yeah, that they managed to hold on that first game post-Marsh, they played a completely different style of football. They saw mm. the like, you saw what you expect from Leeds, the heavy pressure, the like tackling, the like everything was just a lot more aggressive than we'd seen under Jesse Marsh. They were wide again. They were using Yonto wide. They were mm. getting wide, making the pitch big. Whereas under Marsh, everything was so central, so compact. Right. That it often made him easy to get around. I think Leeds were just expansive and trying to be a bit more like a bit more back to basics as well, like you'd expect with like yeah, the, of the caretaker manager, but just completely changed how they played. So do you what think we saw. I was going to say, just to give you a breather, do you think that kind of maybe helped them a bit? Because it sounds like there's automatically, they seem to have that fresh kind of aura about mm-hmm. them. They've got no pressure of Marsh shouting at them, but also it does feel like there's that kind of new manager bounce that they always talk about. But does it feel like maybe they just the players didn't buy into Marsh based on this performance? I, I, think, I think they... I think maybe they they were starting to see that his methods weren't working. Right. And uh, I think they were starting to kind of, yes, yeah, starting to maybe not believe in the, the projects the, that he Yeah, wanted. the project, so to speak. And we're starting to kind of lose faith a little bit. I think what we did see, though, is that Leeds have got some very good footballers in that mm-hmm. team. Like, that is a very good team. Yeah. Like, the, I was watching it. I was like, oh, this would be really fun on FM. Like, on this squad would be really <laughs> yeah. fun. Like, they've just got a lot of good footballers. That Tyler Adams, McKenney midfield. Like, McKenney is an absolute fighter. Like, yeah, he was, like, nose-to-nose with Luke Shaw, like, pushing, like, ready to go. And I was like, you could see that Leeds kind of spirit that you expect to see from him. Yeah. And I thought, like, as well as the technical ability of the team that's there, I think, like, they should be doing so much better than they are. Like, they are not, that is not a squad that should be trying to fight against relegation. I genuinely think, like, they should be mid-table comfortably with those players. So I think, as we said in Monday's show, they now need a manager that's just pragmatic and can get the most out of the players in that team now. Because, Mm. again, as we said on Monday, they've got a Marcello Bielsa throwback, and now they've got a Jesse Marsh throwback squad. Someone just needs to be able to make that work in any way just to keep him in the league so he's more pragmatic but there is a lot of talent in that squad i think to your point then so victor Orta has been rumored to have scoured across europe for coaches by the sounds of things so he's targeted the rayo valicano coach mm-hmm. uh, um, dano aralio mm-hmm. is his name but um they he's basically been declined he's doesn't want to do it and um 
you've got to hand it to him because he's on the cusp of being in the top five in La Liga. So he's close to getting the European spots, which is amazing for them. Mm-hmm. But the other rumoured one is Arne Slot at Feyenoord as well. Um, wow. Feyenoord top of the Eredivisie, which is incredible when you say that because obviously it's normally associated with either PSV or say Ajax, but Ajax are doing pretty badly this season it has to be said mm-hmm. and they've only just recently got Johnny Heitinger as their coach till the end of the season so yeah I mean I think it alludes to your point on Monday they almost feel like they've left it really late in the day to kind of try and get someone in um, they've missed the boat because obviously there's no transfer window now for that manager or coach to kind of do something does scream of Bielsa now, doesn't it? It feels like Bielsa is ever closer to potentially coming back. He's the only one that could potentially save them, right? I think it, it ended so badly under Bielsa. Like, it, I, I know the fans were like, you know, didn't want him to leave. But if you remember how many goals they were shipping and how... <laughs> they didn't care. <laughs> they No, they didn't. But I think if, if the board's aim is to stay in the Premier League, that's not your guy. I honestly think... Your, if your aim is to stay in the Premier League at this point, just stick with the caretaker manager and be like, right, where, wherever you go, wherever we go, we go. But we need to think of a plan for the summer because I think I know there's so much on the line in the Premier League. But perfect, perfect candidate. I've just thought Cheslav Miknievich. He doesn't play pretty, nope. but he gets your results. He is so pragmatic. That's... He's definitely <laughs> And he's available. And he's available. <laughs> no compensation fee to pay for. I also do think for Leeds, like for them to approach a, play- a manager that's on the cusp of winning a historic title for Feyenoord, a manager that's on the cusp of bringing European football to another Euro- to, uh, to another Madrid club that hasn't been there before, like truly historic. I feel like maybe you're not targeting guys that are realistic. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. like those aren't managers that are going to jump ship now. They feel That's like not they gonna... are managers for more of a long-term yeah. strategy kind of thing. Yeah. But equally, if you think about the clubs they're at, why would you leave them for leads? Like, I appreciate there is the money side of things in the Premier League and potentially exposure, but those managers must be thinking... If in six months it doesn't work out, I'm out of the door. So yeah. I'm back on my ass. So. And I've thrown away something that could put me in history books. Exactly. Like, exactly. I think it's just it, like Everton. And I didn't think we'd be using Everton as an example of how to do things well. But <laughs> yeah. Like Everton, they've kind of brought in a manager whose job is like, and I know he did very well at Burnley, but his job was to keep Burnley in the league and he's done it. And that's it. So I'm not saying go out and get a big Sam. I'm not saying that, but I say you need a manager who has experience of in any division, in any of the top five divisions of keeping teams in a league. That's what you need. It doesn't have to be like proper English football bloke, but someone who's at least got that experience and maybe isn't on the way up in their career. Maybe isn't like, maybe is at a plateau. Maybe who is like, but who for now? Pochettino, can do a job. perhaps. Pochettino. That would be incredible. That would genuinely be incredible. But I don't think he'd. Mm. And I, I'm no disrespect to Leeds, but I don't no. think he'd answer the phone if he saw Leeds United coming up. I don't know. It sounds like he's the kind of candidate. He's plateaued a bit, hasn't he, since the PSG days? So depends how desperate he is to get back into football, right? I think that's the yeah, it key depends thing. How certain he is, Conte isn't going to be there next year because I think we're going to see him back <laughs> as um, yeah. But. For Leeds, it's a huge point. Um, for United, this is going to happen. You're going to have bumps in the yeah. road. I saw United fans losing their shit online. Um, 
Like, guys, have you seen how small your squad is? (laughs) You're playing games every day, and you're like, this is going to happen. Like, Mm -hmm. I think, I don't know, uh, every fan base has them. They're completely unreasonable football fans that expect wins every single game without question. I think United, look, the the fact that you managed to come back from 2-0 down, I know it was at Old Trafford, etc., but it's still an incredible fight to come back. Um, And, yeah, you'll be fine. Don't worry. Um, Just kind of calm down a little bit. Mm, definitely definitely well Rory I'm going to round up the FA Cup because that Let's also had some replays now I'm going to call out some of the other games before I kind of talk about the games that I did kind of watch um so to start off with um there was a few results that did take place um the biggest one I have to say was Grimsby Town somehow beating Luton Town. Uh, they won 3-0, which was a massive result for them. Um, incredible. Just as we were complimenting Rob Edwards. Eh? Exactly, yeah. So they scored three goals in the first half, which was absolutely incredible. Um, they managed to hold off. Um, so I, I haven't got it in front of me, but they are due a big tie. In the other results, we've got Fleetwood Town beating Sheffield Wednesday 1-0. Uh, Burnley beating Ipswich Town 2-1 and that second goal was scored in the 90th plus fourth minute of injury time. So, yeah, incredible there, scenes. Um, But the main one that I wanted to allude to you, Rory, was Sheffield United taking on the mighty Wrexham. Uh, It ended up in a 3-1 win for Sheffield United. Um, Very close from Wrexham despite their best efforts. And Paul Mullen just using his tactical analysis in terms of bringing the fouls. He got two penalties, scored one superbly. The second one, unfortunately, went with the same, almost same direction, but he tried to go to the side and it was saved. Um, But I think the key takeaway from this match was the Billy Sharp quotes at the end of the match. He doesn't seem so... He doesn't seem to be someone who suffers fools gladly. I think he's like, <laughs> doesn't mince his words, eh? No, he's a pure Sheffield United fan. Um, so yeah, he's gonna give his all for the club and stick up for the club more importantly, especially as he alluded to, he felt that Wrexham fans and Wrexham in general thought they were through to the next round against Spurs. Um but I, I didn't see it myself, but I could. I loved the reaction on um, Twitter when that came out. And there was loads of memes like, ooh, like, and Jay from the Inbetweeners, like, <laughs> like that, basically. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was funny. Um, but yeah, I have to say, I think there was just a, just a little bit of a gap in terms of quality between the two sides. Wrexham did superbly well just to last till I think it was the 80th minute and then they just collapsed. Unfortunately, legs had gone by the wayside and it was absolutely a great effort by Wrexham. I have to give it to them because Sheffield United, they did struggle. There were times Mm -hmm. they were hanging on. Um, So I think if they were against a better quality side, I think Sheffield United would have lost that match. But that is the difference in golf and class, it has to be said. And well, I think if you look yeah. at Sheffield United, they're a club that are second in the championship. They, they are, are effectively a Premier there. League club. Exactly, exactly. They are effectively a Premier League team. And I think, look, Wrexham are also going through their own huge season where they're trying to push for promotion in a league that is ridiculously hard to get out of. <laughs> it's like one automatic promotion spot, right? It's so ridiculous. Exactly. Um, so they've got like, they're playing matches every other day. And I think like, yeah, it's incredible effort for them. In the first leg as well, we saw them go toe-to-toe against them. And I thought, oh, yeah. 
it was really I've been really impressed by the Wrexham players, the Wrexham team. I did kind of see I kind of saw what Billy Sharp meant when they were doing like the Tottenham Hotspur kind of celebration. Yeah, or whatever. yeah, yeah. I was of like, course. uh you get it, guys, let's just slow your roll a little bit. I know you've got a documentary on, <laughs> but like let's just slow down a little bit. It's gonna start coming off as arrogant at some point. And I think that's why Billy Sharp was kind of like he just wanted to remind them that like you've done fuck all boys. Of course just go he did. Like, so I think it's <laughs> I quite like it. I like what I my first immediate thought was what we need is more player interviews where they've not been media trained. I yeah. love <laughs> when they do lower league interviews on telly because it's always there's a swear word thrown in there. And it sounds like your mate from the pub moaning about football. And I <laughs> yeah. just love it. It's so much better than the absolute sterile interviews you get in the Premier League where they've all been media trained within an inch of their life. I'm like, no, let's get it. Just more players that just say exactly what they think. Yes, please. Yeah, we all no, definitely. Like, I have to say and caveat this, we could end up with a Michael Luce interview, though, where he goes, just shot it and it went in the back of the net. Basically, like those kind of interview re- Yeah, reactions. no, that's true. Um, that's true. But I yes. do like Alisa. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah <laughs> exactly. We do love him, but not on interviews, <laughs> that's for sure. Um, yeah. Finally, because the other game was Fulham taking on Sunderland. Um, this was at Sunderland. This is obviously quite a big game. Uh, Marcus Silva was banished out of this sidelines. Unfortunately, he had a ban. Um, but yes, um, they did manage to win 3-2 in the end. It was quite close from Sunderland, um, despite Fulham taking a lead pretty much every point of this match, despite mm-hmm. Sunderland bringing them back into it. Um, Sunderland just looked like a team that's just lacking a bit of quality, unfortunately. They did have the unfortunate news of Ross Stewart, their talismanic forward, who was injured for the rest of the season, unfortunately, leading up to this result. So that probably going to kill their promotion push as well. Um, But that said, they did do well against a side that was a mixture of like kind of reserve players plus your first team as Mitrovic, for example, turned up here. But good victory for Fulham. So I'm just looking at the kind of fixtures ahead. So the next round. So we have got Stoke City versus Brighton and Hove Albion, Leicester City versus Blackburn Rovers, Fulham versus Leeds United, Bristol City versus Man City. Um, Grimsby are rewarded with an away tie, sorry, to Southampton, which I also think just very Nathan quickly, Jones is there. Go on. That is also, I think, possibly the longest journey you could do in England, Grimsby to <laughs> Southampton. Is. That is an absolute. I think looking at all of play. the all of the ties, that probably is the longest one. Yeah, um, yeah we've got otherwise Burnley versus Fleetwood Town, uh, Man United versus West Ham United, and Sheffield Ooh. United versus Spurs. So that all kicks off between the 28th of February to the 1st of March. So we look forward to those fixtures, Rory. Um, But I think that is pretty much all of the English fixtures that took place over the last few days, isn't it? That is. It's kind of been a bit quiet. And guys, this is the last quiet week because the Champions League's back next week. So it's all going to kick off. All the European football's back. So this is the last one where we've had a little bit of a rest. Need to get, you know, heads down, ready to go again. Um, But we are going to take a very short break and we are going to come back with some news from Italy. My name is David Artel and you're listening to the Anglo-Italian pod. Ciao! We are back and it's time for 
the Italian slash European look at things. And we're going to start with Serie A. As we were recording, no, that's Monday night. On Tuesday night, ignore me, <laughs> bloody Serie A, they had Juve taking on Salernitana. We were all hoping for one thing. But Adam, how did it go? It went the way of Juventus. It went the uh, way of Juventus. So, but the funniest thing about this, just prior to kickoff, was Guillermo Okoa. He got awarded the Player of the Month award, despite conceding 14 goals up until this match. And then he conceded a further three in this match. So he was their best uh, player of the month, which says a lot about Salamitada, doesn't it? Yeah. I was having a look at their position and it doesn't look too pretty. They are still safe. They have got a bit of distance between themselves and Hellas Verona as it currently stands. However, a few more defeats like this and it certainly brings them back into it. But um, let's give credit to Juventus, the old white lady D, as they call it. Um, two goals from Vlaovic, one from the penalty spot. Uh, second one was well taken shot from distance. And then we had Kostic with the most scrappiest goal I've ever seen in my life where Salernitana tried their best to clear it out of the box. I think I did better at clearing the ball on Wednesday night than Salernitana did in this particular instance. Um, there's a few talking points. So Allegri managing to still piss off his players, in particular Vlaovic. Vlaovic was on course for a hat-trick and decides to take him off just before he has that privilege. And you could see it's because they couldn't afford his hat trick bonus. That's why the <laughs> UV, that's UV what accountants were like, Oh, get yeah. him off, get, get him, him off. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Di Maria again having a good game. He's had a shot from distance again, hitting the crossbar, so it was very unlucky. He seems like a very good player at the moment. I, I think it's that confidence of the Argentines at the moment. They seem to like when he's been, he's been fit, he's been great. He's yeah. been good. I think he's been good since he's come back. I have to mm. say, I think he's definitely switched it on. But the bad news for Juventus, Rory, is Miretti. Unfortunately, he did come off with looks like a really bad injury. We don't mm. know the extent just yet, but it doesn't look too great for him. Was replaced by Fagioli. Fagioli obviously setting up Vlavic for the second goal. Um, but Moretti's going to be a bit of a miss. Um, but yes, Juventus are back into 10th place. So they're up in the higher echelons of they're Serie in the first page. Um, they're on the first page. So they're on the first page, no longer of the Bolognas and the likes, unfortunately. <laughs> but uh, yes, um, what else can we say? Uh, Salantana look in trouble, don't they? It's a much needed win for Juve because, as we said, since the points deduction and stuff, they hadn't really yeah. kind of they had the draw and then the loss. And you're like, okay, guys, you need to wake up a little bit. I think Salernitana, as you said, were more than accommodating, and they're kind of the fixture that a lot of teams want to see when they're in a slump. They're like, okay, we got <laughs> yeah. we got Salernitana soon. That's when we turn it around. Um, but it's I I think Salernitana are also in this really weird position because, as you said, they're now currently like they're kind of safe. They're on twenty one points. Verona are kind of in 18th on 14. Now they play each other this weekend. So that's actually a pretty big game. But I feel like the Salernitana players are probably a little bit like, uh, do do we, are we, are we're up now, right? We're, we're fine. I feel like it, can, it might be quite hard to kind of really keep them going. And that whole Davide Nicola quitting, then coming back thing, I think hasn't it's really good. worked. Yeah, they probably worked. should have stuck with the going and not the coming back. <laughs> exactly. um, but, 
hey, if they stay in Serie A, they'll be fine. But I think Juve definitely, if Juve had dropped mm. points here, it would have started to be a little bit panic stations, I think. But they did yes. manage to get the win. Um, but the other news in Serie A was it kind of dragged over a little bit um, yeah. as the transfer window shuts in Turkey a little bit later than Europe. Um, Zaniolo has joined Galatasaray. Now, before we talk about this, we do, of course, want to say our thoughts are with everybody in Turkey and Syria who are going through mm. this horrific circumstances that have happened. That's all we're going to say about it because we're a football podcast. Yeah, we just exactly. want to say our thoughts are with everyone affected. But Zaniolo has arrived in Galatasaray, um, now forming a weirdly... Serie A throwback squad um, <laughs> yes, exactly. in Istanbul. They've now got Muslera, they've got Oliveira, they've got Mertens, they've got Icardi, they've got Zaniolo. I think that's all of them. Lucas um, Torreira. And Lucas Torreira. How could I forget? Arsenal's own Lucas Torreira. Yeah. A bit of a weird squad. And that front three is better than a lot of front threes in Serie A, I would say. Icardi, I Mertens, think that's better than mid-table, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> incredible, right? It's incredible. But what is a weird move for Zaniolo, and I'll get your thoughts on it mm. as well, it's a very odd move. But I did see, now I think it's the Roma sporting director, Pinto, who said, because Zaniolo had a bit of a dig at him for not doing his job properly. Yeah, of course. And Pinto said, well, if I was openly looking for a move and the only clubs who bid for me were Bournemouth and Turk and Galatasaray, maybe it wasn't me who wasn't doing my job properly, which was a fucking <laughs> savage response. Savage. Like, absolutely savage response to both Bournemouth, Galatasaray and... That Zaniolo. media training was brought to you by Jose Mourinho. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he walks in like that renegade teacher, like, forget everything you've learned, literally rips the script yeah. off. This is what we're going to do. Um, yeah, so he had a bit of a, a dig, as Zaniolo, if I'd say. Um, how do you feel about this move? I'm going to give my thoughts in a bit, but what do you think about this? I think there's a lot of despair in Italy about how Zaniolo's career has gone. Um, <laughs> the problem is, like, obviously, he decided to throw his toys out of the pram. Whether he was badly managed by his team, I don't know. But clearly, I think it got to a point where the, the kind of support for him just went there was no longer that kind of support element for him it's clear that Mourinho washed his hands of him and as soon as Mourinho kind of washes his hands of you he's still got the fans behind him as well I think the fans see it as if you don't get behind Mourinho then clearly you're not in it for anything other than yourself so yeah the fact that he got like some death threats it's a bit unfortunate um and the fact that he had to return to his family home back up north in Italy uh, I did see that apparently he had he had provided like a doctor's notes to the club to say he's going to be signed off for a few days so it felt like it was getting to a point of this could be really bad for his mental health as well um but he's got the move to Galatasaray, which is probably a blessing. I believe he's got a clause that says he can go back to Italy if a club mm. like has the right bid for him. I suppose it's a bit disappointing, but then I, I do also feel like his form wasn't there. He didn't really show himself in that kind of latter part of his time at Roma. Yes, he was unfortunate with injuries, but... Again, it's down to his attitude. I think that is the main thing. I think if he would have shown that attitude to Mourinho, Mourinho would have given him some more time. But as um, that Froma director kind of said nicely, um, the fact that you've only got Bournemouth and basically Galatasaray after you kind of says it all. Um, what about you? What do you think? 
I think it's really interesting because I think for Zaniolo, before we get onto the deal itself, because there's an interesting aspect to this deal, which is worth keeping an eye on. But I think for Zaniolo himself, he's someone who Inter were very keen to get rid of. Mm. And everyone was like, why are you getting rid of him? He's one of the brightest talents in Italy. And they were like, never you mind, we're getting rid of him. And then he went to Roma <laughs> and he was good for a bit. And then they're like, why are you getting rid of him? Never you mind, yeah. we're getting rid of him. I felt like he might be someone who... Now, in Italy, there are many negative aspects about being a footballer. The ultras sending you death threats is definitely one of them. And yeah. also the media. And I think he became a bit of a lightning rod for the kind of the mm. the Suns and the Daily Mail um, kind of versions uh, in Italy yes. where they would often write about him, write about his life. And I feel like maybe he's someone who has a lot of distractions, but also was targeted so i think maybe getting out of italy for him might not be the worst idea i think galatasaray look you're going to a country where arguably the pressure is higher if yeah. you're a footballer like they don't do well if you don't do well they're not happy if you're not playing well for them yeah um, true but i think it could be good for him to get out of italy for a bit and just yeah. maybe maybe find somewhere where he's like he will be worshipped there like he is a big name going to that squad and he's someone who like can bring more viewers to the league. Like it's a big name mm. and a player in his peak. So I think this is like or reaching his peak, let's say. So I think this is like a big deal for the um for the Turkish Super League and for Galatasaray. But um so it'll be interesting to see if he is able mm. to kind of enjoy his football again and find himself, hopefully, because I think for Italy as well, we hope that he would do well. But the yeah. interesting part of this deal is that Roma now have an option on two of Galatasaray's most exciting young players. Now, they've been very clever in this deal. They said, yeah, you can have him, but we want first option on Yusuf Demir, um, who mm. is a very... He's uh, 19 years old, I want to say. Um, yeah. 19 from Austria. Um, and F.A. Ackman. So, F.A. Ackman is a defensive midfielder. He is 16. Um, they've got the first offer on him. So I think it's a very clever deal for Roman being like, actually, no, we're going to get something out of this still. Um, so Euphus Demir is a winger. Um, FA is a defensive midfielder. And I think it's something that shows a bit of transfer yeah. now from Roma, yeah, which is not definitely. something that we're kind of used to seeing from that club in particular. So I think it's a really interesting deal. I hope, I hope it can work out well for Zaniolo. And we can get him. He's also had injuries. Like he's had a lot go on mm. in his career, that guy, for how young he is. So I hope it goes well for him. I really do. Um, but yeah, good luck, Nicolo. Um yeah. now the kind of the, the next story we need to talk about, and we've raised it in this part of the show, yeah. in the Italian part of the show, because I think the the opinions we're seeing from Italy might not be the same opinions that we share. Um, and we are talking about the European Super League. Of course we are. So it has come back again, guys. It's back. Mm -hmm. And this time it's personal. No, this time it is, um, it's, <laughs> it's said to be between 60 to 80 clubs yep. with promotion and relegation and no yep. like divine right to be there. Yes. Which is yeah. <laughs> on paper. You're like, oh, okay. Sensible, you've been, yeah. you've, you've mm -hmm. been listening. Good. Okay. Nice. I kind of, I'm not immediately against this. Um, but then, of course, uh, because, uh, I don't know, because of many reasons, <laughs> the English clubs aren't invited. So uh, they don't want to play with us anymore. So, 
apart from the fact that this would massively devalue the European Super League because I don't care what the European Super League is, the Premier League is still going to attract players. Don't worry about it. Um, mm. I think it would devalue any European Super League, the English clubs not being there. Um, what are your first impressions of this story before we talk about the different aspects of England and Italy? So, again, it, it, it feels like it's inevitable. It, it does mm-hmm. feel like this yep. is going to happen, regardless of what we think here. Um, I think it goes to show that there is a disparity between, say, the Premier League and the rest of Europe at this moment in time. There's definitely that feeling within the core of Europe. And although we can talk about the instigators being Barcelona, Real Madrid and Juventus, it does feel like there's a growing... Uh, sentiment amongst other teams. Um, that said, the European Club Association, which is headed up by Nasser mm-hmm. Al Khalifa, have spoken against this and saying they're just doing this out of spite and they're not thinking rationally. Um, however, we did hear the likes of De Laurentiis at Napoli talking about the need to create a revenue stream that is more sustainable and more inclusive. And this kind of hits all the boxes for them because the argument from the A22, which is the company that's been set out to kind of produce this kind of principle of this European league, essentially, um, is to redistribute the money fairly, but ensure that these clubs still maintain a domestic league competition as well. So that's the kind of insights that we've got. Um, But yeah, we've got... So, so before we kind of talk about this more, we're going to play a quick clip, yeah. which is what they have released about what the Super League is going to be, what their vision is. And then listen to this, guys, and we'll kind of take you through our thoughts after this. We began an open dialogue on the future of European club football. Since then, we have spoken to nearly 50 European clubs and other stakeholders. The vast majority of them share the assessment that the very foundation of European football is under threat. It is time for change. European club football is at a tipping point. Huge imbalances have emerged across the continent and clubs with glorious European traditions are no longer able to compete. Clubs bear all entrepreneurial risks, but too often are forced to sit on the sidelines when key decisions are made and they are watching their sporting and financial foundations crumble. And our discussions have made clear clubs are often unable to publicly speak up against a system where the threat of sanctions is used to stifle opposition. Later this year, the Court of Justice of the European Union will rule on the legality and the compatibility of the wafer monopoly with the fundamental freedoms, principles and values of the EU. Their decision will impact not only football, but all European sports. Our objective is to present a sustainable sporting project for European club competitions, available at a minimum to all 27 EU member states. Today, we present the preliminary results of the first phase of our dialogue, which has been honest, direct and constructive. And there are clear conclusions about the need for change and the building blocks of how to achieve it. We have distilled the consistent feedback into 10 principles, which should set the framework for a future European club competition. Clearly, there is more work to be done and the dialogue will continue. We are now 
entering the decisive phase for the future governance of European club football. Well, I'm none the wiser. Um, I, don't, I don't know what any of <laughs> meant. There's a lot of like, we have done this. We have decided this. We have secured the future of this without giving any detail, which is just a masterpiece of modern PR. And Pure rhetoric coming out of his mouth at every paragraph. All marketing words that mean absolutely sod all. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I think, what do I think? Um like the last statement he made, it was just, it meant nothing. I think the it's interesting because obviously what they're alluding to is like they are unable to compete anymore. Is the fact that Chelsea have just outspent all the top Basically. five European leagues, which is an issue. I accept it's an issue. But as we've said in the past, it's not impossible for you to market your leagues better. It's not impossible for you to share the wealth out better. It's not impossible for you to improve your ground, your gra- your grassroots football and build the pyramid from the bottom up. Like it's not impossible for you to do these things. You don't have to tear apart the fabric of European football because you've not been managing your leagues well for the past 10, 20 years. And the clubs, you mentioned the three clubs that are pushing it the most, right? Real Madrid, Barcelona yeah. and and Juventus now bar Real Madrid because they're I think on pretty solid financial ground because they run very well yeah fairly yeah obviously the other two are the two clubs that are drowning in debt because they've been so horrifically mismanaged mm. over the past five six presidents that they're like just grasping for anything that shows them any sign of hope and a way of survival <laughs> yeah. like I'm sorry like it, it might be super cynical but I am not following Barcelona and Juventus fucking anywhere have you seen the mess they've got themselves <laughs> yeah, into? Exactly. like anything they're spearheading I'm kind of like ah, I'll hang back you guys just you guys go forward. Let's see where this goes. Like, what do you think about it? Like, and then we'll talk about the England and like what what the difference is in, in perspective. I just started off by looking at Burns Reichardt, who did that mm. particular piece and looked at his background. So it wouldn't surprise you, Rory, that he started off as a marketing manager and uh, he set up a sports agency in Madrid, oh, okay. which is potentially where Florentino Perez has probably visited him to <laughs> get onto his yeah. expertise. But also his background is in the TV world. So he's mm-hmm. been responsible for bringing free-to-air TV in Germany, bringing the sports rights there as well. So clearly he's got the background of yeah. trying to sell it to a specific audience. Well, we know what they are. Yeah. Um, but... <sighs> Yeah, it's very cynical, everything about this. It's just a case of how do you make it attractive? How do you make it fun for fans? And I think what they're trying to do is counteract what UEFA are doing with the Champions League. They Mm -hmm. clearly are stating that they're not getting a say in the Champions League format. And that's that's the problem. I feel like that's where they're trying to wane their anger at the moment. But Mm -hmm. their anger should be waned at their own domestic leagues as well, to be fair, who are basically behind the Premier League when it comes to Mm. revenue making. They just do not grasp that they need to work on that. But as you allude to, these clubs are becoming a bit more greedy. They are, and it probably doesn't help that the Premier League have got such a deal in place at the moment. But I, I can't say I'm looking forward to seeing these fixtures. I mean, can you imagine, like, we could be watching the lights of maybe... 
Marseille versus Barcelona in mm. a June fixture when the players have already been tired from a domestic league season going into this and this could be like during the whole summer potentially I mean I doubt it's going to be as quick as like a couple of days rest then yeah. go into it right so they could be playing football basically for a whole year this is what we're potentially saying it's here. not it's yeah it's the the pursuit of any footballer not caring about the quality of that football but like i just also i find it i i refuse to believe that when he says all 27 eu member states that there's going to be bloody sheriff tiraspol in the top division like you can go <laughs> yes. fuck yourself if you think that's happening like i don't think it's like i i i just all no. instantly i'm like oh sod off that is not what you mean like all 27 member states so Liechtenstein are gonna have a they're gonna have a representative are they are they, yeah. are they going to be in the FC second division? Or whatever it is. Like, yeah. if you know what I mean, I think it's just the San Marino. Are they, are they getting in? Like the Vatican? Yeah. Nah. Like, I just feel like it's they they're saying exactly what they think needs to be said at the moment until they can get it ratified, and then they'll be like, okay, well, what we actually mean is, you know, of course we can't get relegated with Juventus. Like, so I think what we need for, to, to actually really be able to sit and look at it is detail. None of it has detail. Like. Mm a second third go at throwing this now and there's still not been a this is what it's going to look like this is how it's yeah, going exactly this is how like you can say what you want about how terrible the new champions league format is going to be and trust me it's fucking shit but at least you can look at it and go okay that's how it works this is an idea and this is how the idea works you can then have an opinion about it the super league the only idea we got was we can't be relegated. And now the only idea we've got is, okay, you can be relegated. But mm. that's it. So I think, like, if they want to be taken seriously and if they want is to go further, then we need more detail. But what I want to do is also look at it from a Premier League perspective and one from a, a Serie A perspective. That's what yeah, we're talking about on this pod. Yeah, yeah. Let's try and look about it both ways. So we'll start with Serie A and say, if you are... Inter, if you are Milan, if you are Juventus, and you are sick of not being able to afford Zaniolo, why, <laughs> yeah. why Bournemouth can, and you are sick of your players constantly having to go to the Premier League because you can't say no to the money, is this your most realistic option of being able to compete again? I think the answer is yes. So can yeah. we blame the clubs for wanting to do this? Probably not, no, because they've got themselves to that level where they want to compete with the elites within Europe, right? They want to make sure that they don't necessarily have to sell their talents mm -hmm. because that's what they're doing. But then it's a case of if they don't do that, then they have to change their models. Clearly, they have mm -hmm. to change their models because they can't be the same level. So it could be that they change their model to like a Benfica where they become like a feeder club for the Premier League essentially by ensuring that their talents are kind of they're exposed to a good league in this area, but then are able to profit in on those talents when they do make it. However, if we're talking about each of those clubs that you mentioned, they're not very good at doing that at the moment. They don't possibly have the right setup, despite the fact that we say every week on this episode or this podcast, should I say, that Inter always sell their young talents without knowing Far the true potential of them. Yeah, yeah. Milan are very kind of, by the wayside, sometimes they have gems, sometimes they don't. Yeah. Juventus, again, they look like they've got a really good class of players coming through, but they're not necessarily getting a chance at this moment mm -hmm. in time, despite the best efforts of Allegri. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's the problem. So, 
I think it's inevitable from a Serie A perspective that you'll probably add to that Roma, Napoli as well. Um, you potentially could say Lazio yeah. as well. But then I think we're then scraping the barrel in terms of maybe who could be next, maybe Atalanta, a push, yeah. Sassuolo, but I don't know if they're consistent Fiorentina is going to be next in line, isn't yeah. it? I think it's like... So I yeah, I'm intrigued as to how many clubs it would be. I don't I don't really blame like what I have seen on Twitter today is a lot of Serie Serie A fans who were massively against the Super League are now all of a sudden like, yes, please, Daddy, Super League, like really, <laughs> really begging for it. And I find it really odd because I think what you would want, what you should want is to improve Serie A, not just ditch it at the first opportunity for an idea no. that could massively backfire. I think it just there seems like such a big risk in all of this. And what we love watching leagues from different countries. I mean, mm. that's German football, that's French football, that's it, Italian football. And then the, the fact they play each other, like, I don't know, Marseille and bloody Milan might have only played each other three times, but that makes it special. It's nice. Yeah, it's like true. the Marseille fans, when they get Milan at home, they're like, bloody hell, we've not played these. My dad saw them play and nobody's <laughs> seen them since. And like, it keeps that, spe- seeing it every fucking week. No one wants to see that. That's what domestic football is for. Then you get your rivalries. I think what you should want is to really improve Serie A, not just sod off to a European Super League. But if we look at the Premier League perspective, if English clubs aren't involved, which, good, Sweet. If English clubs aren't involved, <laughs> I am perfectly happy with that. Good. <laughs> like, and but I do think it devalues the league because you're not going to get players who suddenly all the talent leaves England, right? All the talent no, leaves true. England because they all go to the European Super League. That's not how it's going to work. No. You might see more players. It might level. But the Premier yeah, League true. is still, it's done such good marketing. It is such a huge product that it's not going anywhere. So I think ultimately this European Super League would still be like, ah, uh, yeah, but they'd have to be like a, 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 a finalissima. They'd have to be a, like, yeah. the winner of that plays the winner of England or something. Because the whole dialogue, Twitter, football Twitter would be relentless with oh, people just going, that? yeah, but they've not beaten a Premier League team. They've not beaten a Premier yeah, League exactly. team. Yeah, be- exactly. So I think it would devalue it massively. And you can say like, Brexit means Brexit or whatever, and we've shot ourselves in the foot, etc. But like, I think if I was a Europe, if I was a fan of a European team, I would want the English teams in there because I think it only adds yeah, to the competition. I think so. And them not being there makes your competition a bit second rate. I was going to ask you, Rory, and I thought up of something on the spot, which I don't know if it needs a bit more sounding out, but I'm going to put it out there on this pod just for oh, the I'm sake excited. of it. I'm excited. So we know about the beauties of the World Cup. How about a club World Cup tournament where you get teams from every nation? Let's just say, let's just say hypothetically, top four, top five of every nation. And we could base it over last two seasons of performance leading up to the tournament. Wow. So you could say, based on your points total, for example, then the best five in points tally qualifies you to this World Cup knockout stages. You then have potentially, I don't know how many groups we're talking about now because yeah, I'm, I'm trying, trying to, to work it them, out. Yeah. But you could imagine just groups, four group, well, basically four teams in a group, right? And top two qualify for the next rounds, a bit like your World Cups. Yeah. And then you could then do knockout rounds from there. What I will tell you 
is this is a more solid plan than the European Super League because we've got already. I thought it so. <laughs> trademark the Anglo-Italian <laughs> podcast for the yeah. World Cup time club edition. Time stamped. Time stamped. Yeah, this is our copyright. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's ours. Um, I think. Look, that is more of a plan than we've had from the European Super League. So fair play. I think. Look, like I, I would be lying if I said that I like the idea of. I don't know, every division in Europe suddenly becoming like Crew Alexandra are suddenly playing a third <laughs> yeah. division team from Spain. Fucking sign me up. Absolutely, I would love that because I think, like, why not if you can do it? But exactly. I think what the problem is, is that it would come, of course, at the massive expense of the domestic game. And until <laughs> you can do that and you go, right, all the teams from all the divisions can play all the teams from all the divisions. What you're doing is you're going to damage the lower league game in England, which I'm sorry it's shit in Italy. I'm sorry it's shit in France. But in England, the standard is bloody good. And we've got really good lower league football. And we fill out grounds more than some, like, top division grounds across Europe. Like, we get big attendances in League One, League Two. Like, all the way down to the National League, we get big attendances. Mm. Like, and what annoys me is that it would just completely kill the lower league game in England. And that's what the game really is. Because me and my mates, we talk on WhatsApp quite a lot about how the Premier League now feels like Disneyland. It feels like just... It's so distant from anything. Like, when I go to the Emirates, I don't get to go often. I don't live in the country. But when I do... And I, I, I try to when I am in the, in the country. It feels like you're going to Disneyland because you're like, oh, I'm there. And it's the stadium and you buy a shirt and you do that. And it, yeah, and it yeah. feels everything so distant and so just like hundreds of millions of pounds and everything's just floating in the air. What the football I really enjoy going to, and I love Arsenal, but the football I really enjoy going to is going to the Alex because that's the proper football with the mates down the pub. And, like, and I think for it to kill the lower league game and you you support Wickham right yeah, it's exactly. like you know lower league is you go and watch lower league how damaging do you think it could be this idea like i mean this is the problem it just feels like that super league and the premier league is just becoming a bit more fabricated right now it feels mm. a bit more distant and you're not getting the same kind of fun experience. It feels like it's more serious than it ever has been. Yeah. I mean you can see by the sense of like if you get relegated the amount of money that you could potentially lose out is the big factor. That's the big thing that's called out rather than your team shit, but you could still bring yourselves yeah. back up into that. And the championship's a good it. division. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, and this yeah. is the thing they always dismiss. They say, they, they'll be back up in two seasons ago and like time. And then they realize, oh shit, there's actually a good division down there yeah. in the championship. Like, and then they realize that these big clubs like Sheffield Wednesday are no longer in the championship because mm-hmm. they're now trying to call themselves out of League One. And, you know, yeah, we've seen yeah, cases yeah. of like Bolton being in League Two, for example. I mean, think about the first ever Premier League club, Oldham Athletic, now in the nationwide yeah. conference. I mean, that says it all, really. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. it's getting to that point where money is starting to ruin certain aspects of communities. We only have to see about the amount of clubs that have gone out of business as well, mm. Berry being one example. Um, unfortunately, yeah, it does feel inevitable. And I, I do feel like there needs to be some sort of restructuring as well at a lower league level because we're being killed off by the fact that you've got this blackout, for example. What, what, you know, why is that still a case in the lower leagues? I don't understand yeah. that. So <laughs> that kills off any opportunity for fans really to watch their team, but they can't go to those games, right? Mm. And they they give you that old age argument of, 
yeah, but then that means you won't get the revenue from, you know, being in the stands. But clearly you're missing out on revenue from potential people that would pay for the streaming services to watch those teams play. And that's the big problem. And if and you look all, at the MLS, yeah. they've done just finally, mm -hmm. they've done a really nice package. It's £75 for the whole season. You can stream whatever game you'd like. And wow. it's basically on an app as well. So they've wow. realized the potential. And it's just like, knock, knock, Premier League. This is what else you could be like doing yeah. right now. But yeah, they probably won't. No, I think, and, and they're also saying this at a time when the demand for tickets is has never been higher. Like, I think most yeah. grounds in the country are kind of selling out or getting high attendances. Like, people still want to go to football. People don't mm. want to sit and watch it at home. People want to go to the stadium. So I think it's kind of an argument that falls apart anyway. But yeah. look, for the English perspective, I think if the European Super League don't want us, then fine. Good. <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> have fun. Um, I think it would be it would be difficult for the like we saw when England when English teams didn't play in the Champions League because of bans in the past, etc. That English football did kind of fall behind, and there was a period of like, oh shit, like, and when we then got right back into Europe, it took us a while to catch up again. So I think there is an argument for that, but I think I don't know any fans that want their club to be in in European football in this way i think a lot of english yeah. fans and hey we voted to leave europe right i think a lot of <laughs> english fans would just go oh you know what we'll stick to our own um and just before anyone gets angry i did vote remain right um good so um we are gonna leave it there we're gonna leave it there and we're gonna go for a very quick break and then we're gonna do a bit of Serie A and Premier League preview. Hi, I'm David Wheeler and you're listening to the Anglo-Italian podcast. Here we are. It's time for the weekend preview and we are going to start with Serie A. And there's one game we kind of talked about it on Monday. We talked about it at the top of the show. It yeah. is, the, is the battle for the Conference League back on in Serie A. <laughs> currently in ooh, seventh place, we have Torino on 30 points, but in sixth place, we have Milan Three losses in a row, no wins in five on 38 points. Is this the game where the European title race, the European title race, the European race opens up? Now, I've got a bit of history about this fixture. So mm. I was thinking, I was wondering what Torino's record was like uh, against Milan. Now, they've already yeah. beaten Milan twice this season. They've beaten yeah. them in Turin. And they beat them in the Coppa Italia. You'll remember with Adopo in the cut in the, uh, extra time mm. to send Milan out. Now, if they win this weekend, it will be the first time Milan is to be the first time Torino have done the double over Milan since 1984. 1985. Oh my god! <laughs> um, it is a very long time. If they won in me in Milan, it would also be the first time they won in Milan since 1984-1985 oh in Serie A. Now, this season, I was looking at this season, I was like, I'm wondering, like, Torino, they must have been good that year. In 84-85, Torino finished second, right? Oh, wow. And it was the season where Verona won their only ever Scudetto. They came out of nowhere and finished first. So it was an incredible season. Wow. We have, I've been meaning on to do a special episode about that Verona season, about that Verona team, because it really was an absolute miracle. Yeah. Their only Scudetto, completely out of the blue. But Torino finished second that year. Milan would finish fifth. Um, and I saw that in that squad, they had a 16, 17-year-old Paolo Maldini, Ray mm. Wilkins and Mark Haitley. Um, <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. And they lost the Coppa Italia final 3-1 on aggregate. They won 
No, they lost the first one 1 0, Graham Sunes getting the goal. And then they lost 2 1 with Viali and Mancini, the Gemelli del Gol, scoring to make it 3 1 to win the Coppa Italia. So, not a great season for Milan. So, maybe a pretty bad omen if they lose okay. in Milan this weekend. It could be pretty bad. Um, heading into this game, Milan have lost four games in a row. If they yeah. now lose five, that's the first time they would have done that since 1929, 1930. Um, Fikayo Tomori's injured. Benacer's injured. is still injured. Um, and just the icing on the cake, former Interman, Caramo, has scored two goals in his last yes, two games for Torino. Is yeah. he ready to do third and pour more misery on Milan? What do you think, Adam? It doesn't look too pretty, does it? And um, it's rumoured that Pioli is going to go back to a 3-4-3 formation. Um, so, yeah, that could I bet he it, is, yeah. Yeah, I <laughs> bet he is, yeah. He's making a bit more solid in the middle of the park. But I, alluding to this as well, I had a look at their fixture list and it's not looking too pretty. So let's just say hypothetically they don't get a result against Torino. Then they've got the Champions League against Spurs at home and then they go to Monza away. Then they're at home to Atalanta. Then they're away to Fiorentina before they then go to the second leg of that Champions League tie against Spurs. And then they've got the blessed tie of Salernitana in the league. Um, (laughs) There's a slugbuster. By that point, will Pioli still be in a role is the key question. Because if you imagine it, Rory, let's say hypothetically they lose that and they don't have a great start in that Champions League match. I mean, let's just say Conte gets that one goal against him. You know, they shut up shop. It's 1-0 to the Spurs. Then they have got a tough tie against, you know, near City rivals Monza. I appreciate it's more north of uh, Milan, but still... They and lose to Monza. Plenty of teams have lost at Monza scalp. this year. That's quite a big scalp. Yeah. And then you've got to then turn it at home against Atalanta, who are 50-50. It depends <laughs> yeah, on what day knows. you get them on. Yeah. And then it's Fiorentino. Again, not saying that's a guaranteed win, um, but again, that's going to be a tough game. And then, like we said, Spurs in the second leg, depending on what kind of mood you're in. Are you chasing the game or are you in a comfortable lead? I don't feel like at this moment in time, if you played Spurs right now, I think Spurs are the better side against mm-hmm. Milan. And I wouldn't have oh, normally God, yeah, said yeah, that. I wouldn't yeah, have yeah. normally said that based on even Spurs' current form, which is a bit yeah, hit yeah. and miss. I think I fancy Spurs. So it is the start. It's the start of a tough run for Milan. As we said, we should talk about Torino a little bit. They have started yes. to do it a little bit, be a little bit more consistent. So in the last three games, two wins and a draw, only lost one in their last five. They're really starting to like, I think Jan Caramo is a player I'm really excited about. When yes, I saw him at Inter, he scored a few absolute bangers. Spent a bit of time down in Serie B with Panama. He's gone to Torino and I think Juric can really get a tune out of him. He's a really exciting player and a player that could be a good replacement for Lukic, who we said we um, yeah. we were surprised has left. So I think that could be a good replacement for him. Torino definitely, weirdly, kind of the favourites for this game. I think even though it is in Milan, I think Torino mm-hmm. could get a result here the other Serie A matches I wanted to talk about we do have Lazio taking on Atalanta in 
I think the two least predictable teams in the league. <laughs> um, so Lazio have only won two of their last 11 Serie A meetings against Atalanta, but they did beat them earlier this season. Um, Zakanyi and Felipe Anderson getting the mm. goals. For Atalanta, they obviously went on that mad, mad scoring run, 26 games in 26 goals in four games or whatever it was. Um, yeah. But they did just draw a blank against Sassuolo. How do you see this game going, Adam? Yeah, so they all Atalanta fans can blame me for that jinx uh, and causing Atalanta to lose that particular match against the Swallow, but <laughs> I'm expecting Lazio to win here, I think. Um, despite that, though, I think Atalanta, if they can turn up on the day, they could cause Lazio a bit of a like headache, it has to be said. Um, but I just feel like potentially Lazio, the way they play and, you know, they've got the players, I think. I mean, we've been talking about Felipe Anderson in recent weeks, for example, Sergei Malinkovic Savic, we haven't, he's gone a bit quiet, but again, he can turn up and Pedro's been scoring as well, you know, that old chestnut. So, yeah, I think they've got quality within that squad and, you know, Lazio have probably got one goal and that's to be in the top four by the end of the season. I think if they're going to do that, they've got to win games like this. So, I think, it is pretty much inevitable that Lazio will focus on this to win this particular mm -hmm. game. Very nice. Next one we have is Juventus taking on Fiorentina, a team who two teams who absolutely despise each other. The Vlavic <laughs> yes. derby. Now Juventus have won just one of the last five league games against Fiorentina, drawing two and losing two. Um, you Fiorentina, we've talked about it. They have issues in front of goal. Um, I think they've only scored this season. Where are they? Oh, God, they're lower than I thought. Um, going into the second page, they have mm. only scored oh, 23 goals in 21 games, uh, conceded 28, so not a lot of goals in their games in general. They've not won. They've only won one in the last five, losing three. Um, so really not in great form. Juve, as we said, fresh off that win against Salernitana, a much-needed win. How do you see this one going? Um, in Turin? I think it will go the way of Juventus. Um, I was just looking at their head-to-heads and it does look much more in favour of Juventus. But that said, I did just have a look quickly at the injury crisis that Juventus have got. Mm. So Milik's out till March, it says here. Oof. So that's incredible. Um, obviously, Paul Pogba, shock horror, he's still <laughs> injured. And then you've got the likes of Moretti. Moretti, I've just seen, is declared as being out until March as well himself. Um, it's not looking too pretty. So if they pick up any more injuries, I think that could screw them over this season. Mm. It doesn't look too pretty, but yeah, I just think it's just going to be down to the quality at the end of the day. I think Juventus just have enough in that squad to overcome this Fiorentina side. Mm -hmm. I will be looking forward, though, to seeing Gonzalez in this particular match. I think he's got something about him in the last few games. He's been quite on form. Um, it might be interesting to see how the kind of midfield battle goes as well, because Amrabat is a player that we do like on this show. I think they've got an interesting kind of middle of the park battles as well, because Sapanara is another one that's been doing it quite well in recent matches. It could go closer than we anticipate, actually, having said that. So I'm going to go for it. One all draw. One all draw. I like it. Next, in our continuing hunt for Cremonese to get their first win <laughs> this week, they are, going, they are going away to Napoli. Now, Napoli won 4-1 against Cremonese in the first leg of this in the season. Um, in their history in Serie A, 
They've never won two games in a row against uh, Cremonese, so you never know. No. Um, of course, Cremonese were the team who knocked Napoli out of the Coppa Italia on penalties. So they've done it once, kind of. <laughs> Can they do it again? Kind of. Um, and among Serie A, Serie B and Coppa Italia, Napoli have never lost in 14 home games against Cremonese. So the, the, um, the omens aren't looking good. For Cremonese, Adam, how do you see this one going? Someone just needs to tell Cremonese it's a cup competition yeah. they're playing, and then we'll see a victory for Cremonese. But unfortunately, it is definitely all Napoli in this match. If they do manage to cause a shock, then yeah, there'll be delirium in Serie A, maybe like burning buildings at this news. But I can't see that happening, unfortunately. This could be one that's got quite a few goals. I dread to think how many goals that could be scored. I mean, if you think about the talent that they could bring off the bench for Napoli, this is... I'm not looking forward to being Cremonese's goalkeeper for this particular match. I think it's going to be lots of goals, unfortunately, with the form of Austin men as well. I mean, do they rest him as well? I'm just thinking for the Champions League. Do no, they rest don't do him? it. I need him for Fanta Calcio. Don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> don't do it. Don't listen to him. But yeah, Raspadori might get a yeah, run out. I possibly. suspect Simeone might get a run out here as well. Um, and I just wanted to pick up on Napoli. It does sound like Zelinski might not be signing his contract. So he might be out of the doors in the summer. So that wow. could be an interesting development. Where does he go? Um, yeah, in the air at the moment, because no one's kind of been rumoured yet. no. But it looks like Rory, you might be purring and thinking, could he fit into Arsenal's lineup? Oh, imagine him <laughs> under Arteta. Imagine him under Arteta. I'm getting excited. Yeah, I could definitely see him at Arsenal. Jesus Christ, I'd be well happy yeah. with that on a free. You mad? <laughs> oh my god, that'd be incredible. Um, yeah, God, nice. Yeah, I think this is only going one way. Unfortunately, sorry, Grigorovsi uh, fans, but we can't quite see it. And the last game we're going to talk about in Serie A is, of course, bottom of the table battle as Verona in 18th place, as we said, on 14 points, take on Salernitana in 16th place on 21 points. Verona putting together a bit of form. Like they're mm. starting to maybe look like a team and <laughs> yes. they're starting to get a few results. Salernitana very much the opposite. Is this a game where we can see the relegation battle burst wide open? Probably not. Uh, I think Salernitana will probably <laughs> keep it to a draw, which will be enough. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm sorry. I'm just not going to sit down and watch this match, to be honest. I'm not going <laughs> to be one of those that sits in the armchair for 90 minutes watching this, I'm afraid. So uh, I just think this has got draw written all over it. And uh, it might be a last-minute winner or draw, potentially. I, I doubt it's going to be anything more than that. But... I've been proven wrong in the past, Rory. Yeah. I've been proven it's wrong. Now gonna did... be, it's now going to be yeah. a nine-goal thriller. But if you do <laughs> yeah. want to watch it, it is on Monday at half past six, because of course it is, um, if you do want to <laughs> yeah. watch that game. Um, the other games, just very quickly, just so you know what's going on. We have Empoli versus Spets here on Saturday. We have Lecce versus Roma. That could be an interesting one. Mm -hmm. Udinese taking on Sassuolo. Bologna, Monza. And Sampdoria, Inter, Stankovic hosts his former team 
that one could get pretty ugly as well, I yeah, think. Um, we are going to go to the Premier League, and it all kicks off on Saturday with a London derby, West Ham taking on Chelsea. And West Ham are a team that I always think have a good record against Chelsea, but I don't <laughs> think they do. It's just I think <laughs> I remember when they win. Um now, West Ham-Chelsea is going to be an interesting one. West Ham starting to look a bit more like their former selves, I think. Um, they've had a few better performances, even if the results haven't been great. I think we're starting to see, especially the draw against Newcastle. They really came back and were kind of the better side in that game. I feel like maybe we're seeing a bit more of West Ham. Chelsea, on the other hand, who knows what is going to turn up at Chelsea. Um, ninth place, one win in the last five Adam, how do you see this one going? It could be a close game because if you remember when this game played out earlier in the season, it was a narrow 2-1 win for West Ham, or for Chelsea, should I say. West Ham were a bit, um, how can we say, they were stolen out of a goal, should we say, when Mendy uh, faked his injury and uh, yeah, he went down saying that he got injured in the process. If you remember that particular incident, um I, I think it could be a close one because of the fact that Chelsea don't have a striker, really, to be honest. Mm. Um, and I was just looking at the last time West Ham did win, and that was back in 2021 when they beat them. I thought you were going to say like 2012 home. or something. I was like, Jesus <laughs> Christ, my <laughs> yes. memory is bad. No, <laughs> no, they did win more recently for Tom's <laughs> benefit anyway. Um, but yes, uh, it does look like it's very much a Chelsea dominant kind of fixture. The amount of times Chelsea have won in this particular one. But yeah, I think you've got different factors. West Ham need to win because they want to make sure they've got survival. Chelsea just, yeah, consolidation. I don't think there's anything more Mid-table than that. Mid-table consolidation. Consolidation at this stage. But if you do... Fancy putting a bet on. Um, Chelsea have won... Um, no, wait. This game has had more last-minute winning goals than any other game in the Premier League. There have been seven winning goals scored in the final five minutes of games Mm. between West Ham and Chelsea, more than any other fixture. And all of the last three games between the sides have been settled by a goal in the final five minutes. So there could be some late drama in this one. We know it's a feisty one. There's always a bit of venom in this game, and we love it. Good. Then on Saturday, there is Fulham taking on Nottingham Forest. Next, Leicester City (laughs) versus Tottenham. This is a bit of an interesting one. What do we think about Leicester City versus Tottenham? Uh, I think Leicester City have just got into a good run of form recently, probably helped by the Aston Villa result last week. Mm -hmm. Um, Spurs look like they've started to sort their shit out, proverbially. Um, Might be to do with Conte not being on the bench, shouting at them, to be fair. Um, So it'd be very interesting kind of mix up in terms of like how this match goes. I think, I think I want to say Tottenham, do win this one um, just based on a better head-to-head as well. But they will be missing Romero, who is suspended. So that might not be a bad thing, though, because Romero has got a bit of a hot head, hasn't he? Um, I, don't know yeah. what he I don't know what he does in big games, but he just completely loses. He just loses it, like, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah. yeah, Spurs have got the better record when I'm looking at the head-to-head. So yeah, last game that they played was back in September, and that was a 6-2 win for Spurs. Spurs. So, yes, it's not looking too pretty for Leicester. But we have to remember that was Leicester City when we didn't know how bad they could get, right? And James Madison was the only player turning up for them. So, 
Yes, let's let's yeah, wait and see. This is a di- Leicester have only kept one clean sheet in their last sixteen Premier League home games <laughs> against Tottenham. Oh, They've only they always concede against Tottenham. And since Leicester have been in the Premier League, this fixture has had seventy-one goals, the most goals of any fixture in the Premier League in that time. So expect a goal fest. It's going to be nil nil now. Yeah. Then we have Arsenal hosting Brentford. I'm actually not going to talk about that one. Crystal. Oh, Palace. I thought I thought we would. So I thought we would, wouldn't we? Oh, okay. Like because I think uh, Brentford are unbeaten for last eight to nine games now. It does look like it's a good record for them going into it. Uh, Ivan Tony's tweets are probably going to be on Arteta's whiteboards as we speak. Off, yeah. As we speak. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, you're not looking forward to this, Rory, by any chance? Oh, I don't know. I think last time we played Brentford at home, it was pretty comfortable. And I feel like at home, we've been good this year. We've only dropped points in one game um, at home mm. this year. We've won all our other games. So I think we should be okay. Honestly, I think we'll be fine. Um, honestly, like, shut up. No, I think we'll be fine. And <laughs> I'm very nervous. I don't know. We'll see. It. We okay. should. Brentford at home okay. should be fine. Bloody hell. We have to. We have to. That bloody Everton result, honestly. Um, Crystal Palace versus Brighton. It's not a derby. It's a rivalry. Um, Crystal Palace have... Oh, God. It's just Patrick can't get any consistency out of him, can he? They're now in five... No wins in five. Three losses in that time. Find themselves in 12th on 24 points. Like, they're not a million miles from the relegations or the six points clear of 18th with Everton. They could see themselves get dragged into this. And Brighton, mm-hmm. very much flying. Yes. Um, only five points behind Tottenham in sixth place. Um, but they've played two less games than Tottenham, so it is absolutely wide open. Um, how do we see this one going? Based on form, I think it's Brighton. But yeah. as we've said, this is a rivalry, not a derby. There is hatred between the two. That could be the factor that helps galvanise Patrick Vieira and that squad. Um, but that said, I, I don't know about you, Rory, but I don't know who's going to score those goals for Crystal Palace. It's going to be one of those that comes off an arse cheek to go in the yeah. back of the net or something like that. Um, but Brighton like to turn up at this particular match, especially at Selhurst Park. They like to get the shithousery, whether it's Malpay or someone like that in the last minute. And I, I think... I feel it will go the way of Brighton, but you never know. Vieira has a tendency to disrupt kind of rhythms and mm-hmm. Deserby ball might be one of those kind of games where he likes to disrupt their style of football. And I think that's probably what I haven't seen anyone do against Brighton just yet. And that is basically cause mayhem and just go in with harsh tackles, for example, and, you know, yeah, yeah, break yeah. out the play. I've not seen that against a Brighton side yet this season. If I've seen like Brighton lose, I think they've, I've only seen them lose because the other team were a bit more superior in the way they've played it. Yeah. That's the only time. So this could be very interesting in terms of contrasting styles and yeah, mixing with that hatred for each other. That's going to be a banger. That's going to be an absolute delight to watch on Saturday night. That's for sure. If I don't yeah, get the chance is- to watch it. No, I think definitely that's one that I'm going to be... Well, it's the same time as Arsenal. I'm not going to be watching it, but I will be keeping an eye (laughs) on it. Um, We do have Southampton versus Wolves. Nathan Jones is still here, guys. I'm as surprised Mm. as you are. Um, And and then (laughs) late on Saturday, we have Bournemouth taking on Newcastle. Eddie Howe going back to his old stomping ground. But then for fans of... or 
people with amnesia. You can watch it again. Leeds United are taking <laughs> on Manchester United, this time at Elland Road. Um, now, I think Leeds could get something here. Elland Road, I think, yeah. you know, there's no more Yank Lampard. It's going to be a bit more <laughs> like, and they fucking hate United. How do. do you see this game going? It could go that way, but it could easily go the other way, which is a quite comprehensive win for Man United. I seem to remember last time that they had so much hatred. I think they won 3-0 and Harry Maguire scored on that particular day. So, yeah, I I don't know, but it feels like Grand Hog Day, doesn't it? Because of the fixtures just happened a few days ago. So, if anything, with that crowd, maybe, maybe Leeds could prove something and as you allude to I think they've got a good squad so maybe they would take some learnings from this particular match that they just played each other and maybe just learn to do the same but defend better that's all I can say just defend better the last time Leeds lost consecutive home games against Manchester United was in October 1976. This could be the time it happens again. Who knows? Um, And then the last game in the Premier League that we're going to talk about, I think we have Man City versus Villa. Come on, Unai. Just do us a favour, man. Unai, to the (laughs) rescue for Arsenal again. I can absolutely see it. Please, God. And then we have, I think, what is going to be the closest that a Liverpool, that a Merseyside derby has ever been, as on Monday yes. night we have Liverpool taking on Everton, and this Everton, this you never beat Liverpool, right? This, this could be your time. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give the same speech I gave to Torino at Juventus when they lost one <laughs> 0 Like Everton, this is your chance. This is your time. You have to take it. Liverpool have been fucking awful. If you're ever going to beat them, this is the time you have to do it, right? What do we? Th- how do we see this game going? You've just come off beating Arsenal. Don't beat Arsenal and then no. lose the next game. Just don't but do I, that. I think they could do it. Genuinely can because Dyche is going to rile up his team. He's going to frustrate Klopp. I could see it. They already hate each other. They've had a fight in the past, haven't they, Klopp and, and Dyche? The irony is Dyche admitted he was a Liverpool fan when he was younger. Yeah, so, yeah, like, yeah. this is the interesting twist for him because he's playing against his beloved Reds but he's being a manager where they don't really like him. So he's probably got the win there already. So let's see, let's see. But like you say, this is the best time they've ever had. And I never thought we'd say that on this season based on Everton's performances. (laughs) I know, yeah, it really is. Baffling. It really is a fall from grace for Liverpool for us to be like Everton have been the most embarrassing team in the league this year. And we're like, guys, you've got to beat this lot. Um, <laughs> Liverpool have lost just one of their last 22 home league games against Everton. Um, it is a bit mental how one side of this derby has been. Um, it all has also finished nil-nil more than any other fixture in Premier League history. Mm. So if we've got the goalsiest, which was... Um, Spurs Leicester we've got the ungolsiest in Liverpool versus Everton so maybe after a long day at work on Monday this might send you to bed a little bit early yeah who knows but there'll be a red card at least I reckon um <laughs> guys we are going to end it there I think that is everything and we've yes. almost hit the one hour 30 mark for once we might actually be on time um Adam anything to say before I send these lovely people on their way no, just enjoy your weekends and I look forward to discussing and reviewing on Monday night. 
Thank you, Adam. Thank you, guys. As always, follow us on Twitter at Italian Anglo Pod, on Instagram at Anglo Italian Pod. Subscribe on YouTube at the Anglo Italian Pod. And yes, I do have the customary quote for the week. And this time it is from Javier Tebas, who says, The Super League is the wolf who today disguises himself as a granny to try to fool European football. But his nose and his teeth are very big. We'll see you next week, guys. Ciao, ciao. Sports Social Podcast Network.